everyone, welcome back to the Digital Deep Dive Show with me, Bailey. The Digital Deep Dive Show is all about showcasing incredible technology and the exceptional people building it, using it, and the impact it has on society at large. You can find the Digital Deep Dive Show on PogPage, and it is available on such great podcast platforms as Apple Podcast, Anchor, Google Podcast, and Spotify. We also are now posting or reposting the shows over on YouTube. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and have all episodes downloaded automatically on your device. If you are on social, we are on Twitter and Instagram at the Digital 3D Show. Before jumping in, I just want to state that all ideas, thoughts are my own and not shared by any organization. And with that said, Let's jump into episode number 10 of the show. Pretty fired up here that we made it to the 10th episode. Sort of started off a little bit slow in terms of putting out content in a repeating, not a repeating, but a recurring fashion. And uh, just happy that kind of figured out the rhythm here. I think we've got a nice flow in terms of show structure. Looking forward to starting to have some guests on the show now that we're into it a little more. And, uh, you know, let's talk about some headlines. So the first one I am probably most excited about of all the things that I've been seeing with AI it's the fact that Microsoft, with no surprise, came out with Copilot, which brings ChatGPT to transform office life. The sort of story or narrative that uh, Microsoft has been putting out on this is the online versions of your favorite, and that's my terms, but your favorite Word, Excel, PowerPoint, Teams, and Outlook, which sit under the Microsoft 360 banner, will soon receive Copilot integration. Microsoft 365 Copilot, your Copilot for work, it combines the power of large language models, LLM, with your data in the Microsoft Graph and Microsoft 365 apps. Turn your words into the most powerful productivity tools on the planet. So the there was a ton of quotes that uh, were you know captured from the press release, and Microsoft did a great job of providing different videos and gifts that just to show the workflow. But my sort of takeaway here was, you know, the fact that they're adding AI to the office suite has the potential to significantly improve the efficiency and productivity of workplace tasks by automating repetitive tasks, improving accuracy and quality, and personalizing the user experience, AI could help kind of knowledge workers to focus on the tasks that matter most. And that's something that I am consistently wrestling with of what's in front of me versus what's value add versus what I should delegate, which is, and, and arguably some things I should just say no to. And AI has the ability to help prioritize your day and get the most productivity out of you. Perfect example is for the first time ever, I had someone schedule a bunch of meetings for me, you know, about, I don't know, 50 meetings. And when they did it, they just looked for any window that was available. And I had to go back to them and say like, look, I can't jump from having, you know, a four hour meeting where I'm doing a discovery session and then into some sort of like one or two 30 minute meetings. Like my brain needs a second. 
And so you need to have like those high productivity tasks with something that like lets your brain recover or your, your body and your soul recover. It's also, you know, how do you, you know, use A to sort of prime or start some of these things. And, and I know I've been using ChatGPT uh, just in all aspects of my life to help craft, uh, you know, words. And so it's like, hey, I have this topic I want to write and I, I let it kind of do my first draft and then I sort of make edits from there. Uh, the, the other thing I want to think about is terms of just the fact that AI has the potential to automate many of the repetitive tasks. And one can assume that, you know, you're using it for word, PowerPoint and Excel, and those are probably less repetitive and more insights driven. But if you could get the AI to actually speak and use it with like, let's say power automate and, and ask it to build almost like a workflow, that would be pretty impressive. And here's my biggest thing. So I've used both the Microsoft stack and the Google stack, whatever Google's calling G Suite these days. I think it's Google for work. And I've sort of divided it into these buckets. If I'm doing more corporate oriented work, I like the Microsoft stack. If I'm doing more creative work, I like the Google stack. I also find that with Google, it seems to be more integrated to the app ecosystem, whereas Microsoft is looking more internally. Now, that I have no data to prove that. That's just like my general experience. And I think that's mostly because I use you know more Google apps in my personal life. And as a result, I'm more willing to try out app ecosystem apps. My, my point of saying this is I am now you know thinking about you know, if I was to go start, you know, something tomorrow, do you go with Google because of price and time to market? Do you go with Microsoft because they have all these additional features and this AI, but you know, it's, 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 you know, Microsoft obviously just bought chat GPT, but Google has been working on AI for years. So I don't want to call it an arms race, uh, or a race to AI, you know, capabilities, but it will be interesting to see how the likes of Google, Microsoft, Salesforce, Oracle continue to, you know, deploy AI into their full stack. Uh, what I did is I linked to Bing, which is uh, Microsoft's, you know, newsroom, or it's their browser, but uh, the Bing blog to read more about this. It's, it's pretty powerful. I, I'm looking forward to this. All right, so the second story I wanted to highlight came out last week, and it was talking about changes to Y Combinator or YC. And YC is rightly known for early stage investments, if you're less familiar with it. In recent years, they have done some late stage investing, but late stage investing turned out to be a little different to their business models. And so they're going to be pulling back from that and just sort of focusing on early stage investments. And you know, I think my takeaway on, on stories like this is that, you know, first and foremost, there's headcount reduction, just like there is across all tech. And it's just showing that changing times in terms of this ecosystem and this sort of, um, you know, sphere of influence that, you know, groups like Y Combinator have had on the tech and startup ecosystem. And also the fact that, you know, the, the cost of capital has changed. 
But uh, it's interesting to see, or I, what I'd like to see is, you know, Y Combinator's deal, deal velocity and if, if that's changed, you know, in terms of their startups versus the, the, the deals that they were looking at sort of long term and why they're sort of saying we need to make our bets with just these early stages, one would have to assume it probably just better aligns with their organ operating model. But, uh, you know, I think for any company that, not for any, but for most of the companies that I've seen that come out of Y Combinator, they're always very impressive. I love the fact for those that I've talked to that have matriculated from, you know, Y Combinator, they just get this great ecosystem of advisors, both formal and informal. And, uh, you know, it'll be just interesting to see how other organizations in the Bay Area you know, continue to evolve and retool their organ operating model and kind of mission and mandate. And, uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting back, hack, back half of 2023 for that space. All right. So this is something that I just had to highlight, but I thought this was pretty funny. So Meta as and NFTs is kind of what I titled it, but uh, in less shocking news, Meta is winding down its NFT group and f- for Facebook and Instagram. So I never got into the NFT craze, but there are practical applications for contracts and agreements, but it's not surprising uh, to me that Meta is closing it down due to cost-cutting cost-cutting measures. It'll be interesting to see how NFTs continue to grow and expand and how they are used for less marketing and art and more of a utilitarian function. But, you know, just the fact that Meta is so big. I mean, I think they're servicing over 2 billion people a day on their platform and have some, you know, capability that is so, you know, not prescriptive, but so targeted to such a small user group just feels like a lot of waste. And I'm not surprised to see this one sort of turned off in the year of efficiencies to coin or quote Mark Zuckerberg. All right. Speaking of the year of efficiencies, the next story, unfortunately, is another round of layoffs for Meta. Uh, if you look, Meta just laid off another 10,000 people and it actually you know, turned off the 5,000 jobs or 5,000 job openings that it had on its website. What's more interesting to me is what's happening in their stock market. So if you look at the highs, Facebook stock was roughly somewhere in the 300s and then dropped down to 97 And now it's back up to, I think, like somewhere in the 170s. But every time these big tech companies do a layoff and showcase to the street that they're being more efficient and prudent and, uh, you know, the stock price goes up and uh, Mark's come out and said a couple things. As I mentioned, this would be the year of efficiencies. And, you know, what does that mean? Really, in this regard, it seems like it's cost-cutting measures in terms of headcount and then reduction of spend into the metaverse. One would also assume that they're going to have to start looking at other ways to deploy some capital. If you've looked historically, Facebook has not been the best at innovation, and they've been a fantastic acquirer of talent and tech. Look at Oculus, look at Instagram, which they only paid a billion, I think a billion dollars for, which was such a great return on their investment given the amount of eyes and um, 
ads that they've been able to deploy on that platform. They've got WhatsApp, and obviously they've got Facebook for business. I'm not sure what they're actually calling that these days. But uh, actually, now that I think about it, I need to go back and look. Facebook for business might have actually been incubated in-house. I need to go back and, and dig into that one. But the point of being is that they're really good at acquiring tech, not so good at being innovative. You know, Mark has come out and said that, you know, they're going to be looking to remove a lot of middle management layers and trying to get back to a more innovative posture. But for an organization that has best been known um, you know, post-launch of, of Facebook by acquiring, uh, you know, it would just seem prudent for them to spend more time looking at the market and spending more time looking at potential acquisitions. Not really sure where would be the best place for them to dig. Uh, Pinterest seems to be like a good candidate for them for potential acquisition, but, uh, you know, who knows? Only time will tell. All right, so the next story going from, you know, one social media platform or company that's all about connecting people to another one, just in a very different approach and way, uh, Twitter to go open source. So in a post on social media, the Twitter CEO, Mr. Elon Musk himself, announced that the company will open source the code used to recommend tweets on March 31st. So open sourcing tweet codes would use, basically you would know why you were getting that um, you know push recommendation or why are you seeing certain tweets and not other things. The three sort of kind of takeaways are transparency, innovation, and competitiveness. Um, and, and by competitiveness, I mean by making the code available to competitors, Twitter could be um, you know risking a competitive advantage in the recommendation space. However, it could also encourage other companies to adopt similar approaches to transparency and collaboration, leading to a more open and innovative tech industry. I think this puts a ton of pressure. Uh, I think it, it, I wouldn't say it de-risks, but it takes pressure off Twitter and puts pressure onto other platforms like Meta and their Facebook platform to provide the same amount of transparency. I thought one of the new features that Elon and team added to Twitter just in terms of, you know, seeing view count was something very interesting. So now you can tell how sort of impactful a user is because someone on Twitter doesn't always get the same likes and thumbs up as, let's say, Instagram. So it will be very fascinating to see how this is, one, deployed, two, adopted or perceived, and then three, what the you know, the greater market does in terms of trying to react to this. All right. The last story I'm going to talk about, I suppose this could have gone after the Microsoft story, is AI images are becoming more realistic. So mid-journey only hit the AI scene about a year ago, and they're already on version 5. And if you review some side-by-side examples from Nick Floats on Twitter, Uh, from four versus five, as well as some new prompts and crowd shots. You can quickly see how like more advanced these things are going. And, you know, I was reading some, you know, bits on this on the internet and it really looks like, you know, version four were all these people that looked almost sad with, I don't call them dead eyes, but sad eyes. Whereas version five, everyone looks way more happy and lively and it's uh, what 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 my takeaway was is version five is very promising, less post generating editing and perhaps photo perfect images sooner than we can even imagine. 
the uh, but I'm, I'm wondering if you're creative. Like, what does this do? Because I, I looked at some of these pictures. I had no idea that AI generated some of those. And, you know, what will happen to the photographers, the editors, the models, the, you know, set designers? So there could be some, obviously, you know, impacts in terms of the creative landscape. And then you could also argue that those people just need to evolve and learn how to do more prompting and get better at that. So it's like a changing of skill sets. But uh, regardless of the impacts on sort of the ecosystem and jobs and job descriptions and, and how people will you know be a part of that ecosystem, version four versus five, version five is just scary good. All right, moving into the Chicago spotlight, we have talking about clear flame engine technology. I was like really fascinated by this because it's a little bit of tech and a little bit of manufacturing, which are two of my favorite industries. So clear flame engine technology is a company that's developed technology for diesel engines to run on renewable liquids. It secured $300 million in its series B funding round on Thursday, I think last Thursday or two Thursdays goes. And uh, Mercuria Energy Group led that raise. Kind of the key takeaway for me on this one is that the uh, Clear Flames technology modifies diesel diesel combustion engines, allowing them to run on a wider range of fuels without sacrificing performance or increasing costs. It could be applied to both new and existing diesel engines and a wide variety of different applications, which I think is kind of cool. And the technology enables engines to use cleaner and less expensive fuels with a win-win for the environment and the, the uh, you know customer's pocketbook. I think that's pretty neat. Uh, obviously, I'm fired up for any company here in Chicago. If you have a tech company or manufacturing company using technology, you know, hit me up on DM, message me on LinkedIn, you know, put comments into the show. Love to hear about your tech uh, company or a manufacturing company using technology. All right, moving from sort of stories, I wanted to jump into our podcast episode feature of the week. So this week, uh, I wanted to feature or highlight the 2023 retail industry breakthrough featuring IBM. This is coming from the Digital Transformers podcast. In this episode, we had Sandra Campus, who is the CEO of Sinosure Holdings, and Mark Meister, who is a partner in the supply chain transformation group for IBM Consulting. Um, the, you know, my kind of takeaway on this is that you know both guests have a very unique and specific um, point of view on you know the impacts of the last couple of years on this year's you know on supply chain today and where supply chain and sort of tools and the ecosystem and the infrastructure going for tomorrow. The episode's about 45 minutes, totally worth a good listen when you're walking your dog like I typically do. And don't forget to follow both, uh, you know, guests on LinkedIn. Uh, Mark's a personal friend and has been for years. Uh, and if you're ever looking for someone to give you, you know, great feedback or insights, hit him up. He's always been just someone that I go to for fantastic sort of direct, very spot on, uh, feedback of what's going on in the marketplace. All right. Going from our podcast into our sort of deep dive segment of the show, I wanted to highlight an app that I just got exposed to, but 
even, you know, only using it for uh, a handful of hours, I'm already really impressed. So it's called Fellow and the website's fellow.app. And the tagline from their press team is say goodbye to unproductive meetings. Fellow helps your team build great meeting habits through collaborative agendas, real-time note-taking, and time-saving templates. So what I've seen with the app, and, and like I said, I'm only a couple of hours into using it, it directly does two integrations that matter to me. The first is it connects to uh, your Outlook calendar. So on sort of the side widget or side paneling, if you will, it's just a list of all of your calendars and it does it in chronological order. So you just kind of, you can either navigate through, you know, a little small calendar icon or you can just go top to bottom. And you can use their basic out-of-the-box template or you can create your own templates. And I just found this was really easy in terms of me thinking about meeting notes. You know, I've used similar solutions with uh, OneNote and with Asana. And I found this to just really kind of work with my brain of these were all the meetings I had and here were the notes. It allows you to store, lock those notes. It allows you to email and and you know, share those notes, uh, you know, to other apps throughout your app ecosystem. The second thing that I thought was really uh, pretty powerful was the Asana integration. So when you do tasks, uh, to-do tasks in, in the uh, fellow app, it will actually push to Asana. And for me, you know, because Asana has such a fantastic and easy to use workflow, I was able to go from scheduling a meeting to meeting prep, meeting note taking all in the fellow app. And then I was able to have my to do's pushed to Asana and just knock through those. So for someone who, you know, lives right now in Asana as my primary note take, not note taking, but data capture and kind of task, you know, task tool. The fact that Fellow just tightly integrates it worked really well for me. Um, in terms of using it with a team, I, I've not actually experienced that yet. I'm still sort of in early days. And so I'm going to be trying it out for a couple meetings that are upcoming, get people's feedback, see what they think. I'm interested to explore how it works with folks inside a four walls versus outside and kind of like, you know, does it, you know, do people have to sign up? Do they get like a PDF? I know that's been how other tools have used. But uh, if you are on the fellow team and you are listening to this and there are other features you think that are worth highlighting on this show or that I should just be checking out, let me know. I'll be very interested to see those. The last piece of the show is really talking about where I'm going to be. Uh, you know, I highlighted last week doing some events in and around the Midwest, but uh Rather than going through the whole laundry list of all the events I'm going to over the coming weeks, I thought I'd highlight one that I'm going to tonight, which is the Taste of Innovation. And it's going to be at the Chicago Shakespeare Theater. I think I've actually been to this once, but as someone who's still, you know, figuring out Chicago, I wouldn't say that I'm totally, you know, oblivious to where things are, but I haven't been to every building. I'm pretty excited to go to my first event at the, you know, a a Shakespeare theater should be kind of cool. And this one specifically is talking about innovation in the food industry. Uh, you know, one would assume that there would be some tasty bites, but, uh, if you are there tonight, uh, from five to seven thirty, you know, come say hi, introduce yourself 
and uh, looking forward to meeting everyone at the event tonight. All right, that wraps it up for episode 10 of the Digital Deep Dive Show. Don't forget to like, follow, subscribe to the show on Twitter and Instagram. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Shows are republished over on YouTube. The you know show hashtag or show at sign is at Digital 3D Show. And with that said, enjoy the rest of the week. Thanks for tuning in.